employers do reference checks on candidates all the time. In fact, here on Costa Company, we even dissected the rise of discrete reference checks, where a recruiter solicits candid insights about a prospective employee without their knowledge. All in the pursuit of, and sometimes in the guise of, knowing a candidate really well before they join their company and leaving no stone unturned in the process. These discrete reference checks are considered a function of it being an employer's market. Over and over again, we hear about how recruiters have an upper hand in the hiring equation, an undeniable leverage almost in the process. But what if I tell you that this notion is on shaky ground now? Because the employees aren't fully subscribed to it, there is very much an underlying tussle for power, a tug of war, a push and a pull about who the job market really belongs to. With layoffs and recession fears, you would imagine employees are settling for less. You would imagine they're taking up a job, any job, to evade unemployment. But nope. They're carefully considering every company evaluating pros and cons, conducting independent reverse reference checks on prospective employers and making decisions about their next move in the most deliberate and calibrated manner. Candidates are asking specific and pointed questions about leadership, work environment, culture, role, financial standing, you name it. They're asking these questions to people who have been there and done that, of course, and confronting hiring managers and founders and CXOs themselves during interviews. In this episode, we will talk about employees striving to take back the position that matters most in their careers. The driver's seat. We will start with why and how people are doing background checks and reverse reference checks and end with what you could do to adapt this process to your life to evaluate potential employers in a downturn. This is Cost to Company, the Ken's Work in Workplaces podcast, and I'm your host, Akshar. Let me give an example. Recently, we had a candidate where uh, we had a situation where the candidate said, I want to do deep, deep ref checks on the company. And candidates anyway do that. But in this case, this guy took it to another level. He says, I want to talk to seven, eight people about the company and its leaders. Uh, so he actually found out uh, where the CEO of that company had worked with before. And, uh, you know, found out some seven, eight people that he should talk to. And then he spoke to all of them. Not only about the company, but also about its leadership. And uh, of course, we also gave him that information ourselves. But he said, I want to do this process myself as well before I take, before I take the role. It was a very senior role, so before I take the role. And he did that process himself. So candidate themselves are now being more and more aware. And uh, they're also going much more deeper in taking decisions about joining a particular company. That's Harold D'Souza the co-founder and director of Walkwater Talent Advisors in Bangalore. 
Harrell strongly believes reference checks are a two-way process and that it has always been the case. But right now, it is far more pronounced and way more important than ever. Post-COVID, we saw this boom happening where uh, the markets were flooded with cash. There was VC money f- flowing in. There were H&Is who were investing in India. Uh, the markets were hitting all-time highs. Uh, startups were getting bizarre valuations. Like, uh, that didn't seem like there's a cap to anything. Eventually, a mean reversion happens in the market, right? Um, and things do tend to uh, fall back where they're supposed to be there. So, yeah, uh, I feel like since that has happened, I have been a little more cognizant about finding out about the company because what if everything goes bust tomorrow? This is Shashank Baliga, a marketing professional at a leading streaming destination. Well, as we have seen in the past couple of months, Shashank's fear is definitely rooted in reality and a fear that is shared by many More than 100 startups have laid off 27,000 people and more. Investments in startups across all stages, by the way, is down by 75%. The road ahead looks rocky for startups and knowing a company really well is a form of insurance. The more information you can gather, the less risk you'll have when you make that move. And every day when we're talking, like even when I'm talking to a friend or a colleague, they're ranting about how exhausting and overwhelming the hiring processes are. That's Janvi Jain, a marketing professional too. In March of 2023, she wrote this vital Twitter thread about how she applied to 70 plus startups in this job market, by the way, and got callbacks from more than 25 plus companies, background checked each one of them, and shortlisted just six to seven. Eventually, of course, she only joined one, but it's safe to say she has background checks on companies for breakfast. And while even I was doing background checks, so how I do the background check, okay? I go to their website. I go to the leadership profiles on all social media. Twitter is one of the places where people actually put out opinions, how they plan to move ahead with uh, their culture, how many meetings they're taking up, what does their schedule looks like, what does their team schedule look like, how much micromanagement is there, what is happening. Then after doing this, I get a fair idea if I want to move forward with them or not. If I plan to move forward with it, I go see their, uh, what do we say, digital presence, the blogs they must have written, the podcast they must have appeared on, the posts they have been mentioned, what is happening around the company. While Janvi tracks down every trace of the company online to understand leadership and culture better, Shashank focuses all his research towards finding information about his prospective employer's financial standing. So I try to dig into their financials. Um, so a few of the questions that I ask or like I try to look um, uh, or I try to like check the answers for are um, like, is the company cash flow positive? Are they burning money? If yes, what's the burn rate? What's the route to profitability? Uh, what's the ARPU? What's the EBITDA? What's their business model like? Is the business model sustainable? Um, so yeah, these kind of questions. And I understand maybe not everyone um, understands this. But obviously, maybe you know a friend or a friend of a friend who knows how to check for these parameters. 
Public companies are required by law to disclose their financial performance. But startups, it's not that easy to find. So a lot of time is dedicated to scouring the depths of the internet to find out as much information as possible. But people like Shashank and Janvi think it's worth investing their time and doing the due diligence because startup careers have changed. From 10 years ago to now, I think there is a lot more um, acknowledgement and understanding in the startup scene that spending a lot of time in one startup or like learning the ropes and going deep into a particular uh, you know, domain is actually way more beneficial than hopping jobs every two or three years and so on. I think there's a lot more acknowledgement and understanding of that right now in the ecosystem, um, th- which this, this is obviously true, right? This just makes sense. But for a lot of time, this wasn't the case. And I think that people are way more um, careful about joining a place than because they understand that their careers depend on it. And so startups now, on both sides, actually, both startups and like people who are like looking to work for startups are being very careful about judging people and getting them on board uh, reciprocally. That's Sairam Krishnan, Head of Marketing at Atomic Works. And Sairam believes the ecosystem is ripe for change. The startup community has evolved and become tighter with time. There are clusters of communities depending on the field you work in. Marketeers, engineers, product managers, sales, all of them have their own little online community. A broadcast channel where they share important information and tell it like it is. And this channel, he says, is far more reliable than, say, Glassdoor or LinkedIn, where only people who have had the best or the worst experience often leave comments. You almost never get to hear from the people in the middle. On the contrary, these networks, based on trust, take time to build. It's not easy to break into. So what if you're a newbie just joining the industry? Then what do you do? Um, And so even if you're reaching out to somebody who is absolutely unknown to you, they still are invested in that, hey, I have to, because this person is a marketer and is in the same community as I am, and I will uh, will either work with him sooner rather than later, or I will, you know, or I will be like, you know, bumping into him at a particular conference that I actually talk to him and help him because he will help me uh, or she will help me when the time comes. Even after you've talked to people in your network, read press on the company you're interviewing for, studied its business models, investors, and financial health, there might still be some gaps in your knowledge. And that's what interviews are for. The number of people who interview you is also a signal, right? Um, If the company is over-engineering their process and they have many, many people for, let's say, a mid-level role, you know, anything more than three or four people for a mid-level role is, is, I would argue, over-engineered. Or is it under-engineered where you have you meet a hiring manager and then he's just like, he or she's like, hey, I like you, you got the job. To me, that's perhaps not enough signal, right? Of, of like, or you have not spent enough time with anybody in the business and they have not spent enough time with you to have a, a robust enough opinion of whether you're a good fit, which means that decision-making is rapid fire, but that can also mean that you could lose your job rapid fire. That's Suraj Langhani. VP of Human Capital at Peak 15, up until very recently, known as Sequoia Capital, India and Southeast Asia. His role is to help early-stage portfolio companies, specifically Series A or below, with anything related to hiring. 
His advice is to look for signals beyond what meets the eye. And sometimes not getting an answer is also an answer. And I feel like if that is not going so well and they are uh, guarding certain info from me or they are dishonest about something, I feel then that is also sort of like a red flag, right? Uh, because um, like, you know, I'm sure ki every time you approach a company or like you're in that process, they ask for everything, right? Like right from my 10th standard mark sheet to my 12th standard mark sheet to my degree certificate, to my diploma certificate, my Aadhaar card, my passport, my dad's annual income, my mom's annual income. Uh, There are so many questions that they ask and we have to like produce so many documents just to verify all of that. And I feel like it's kind of hypocritical of companies to do that to us uh, when they are expecting us to divulge so much of our personal info. Uh, and then they are guarded about a certain thing that you ask them. I feel it's really not fair. Shashank believes you're entitled to honest information. You should be afforded the same privilege, same rights to information as your employer. So there was a call I was on. It was uh, the very first HR call. And I asked the HR basic questions around funding, location, whether it's a work from home or work from office position. And since it was the first HR call and it was supposed to be him taking my interview. So he told me that I'm not in a position to ask him these questions and I'm not the person who's taking his interview. So then, like, what do you do in a situation like that, right? Like, when you are coming across as confrontational... I am actually not somebody who gets intimidated by people or get intimidated during hiring processes or something like that. And that is why it's fairly easy for me to go through these experiences. If you're asking them what the funding status is, it it is your right to ask that question. You can ask them if you're joining that company, what your next six months will look like. You're giving them the same amount of time they're giving you. That's Janvi again. Posing direct questions to hiring managers and founders will fetch you information on the company. But Surat says sometimes fairly simple questions can reveal insights about the company culture. When I was an external agency recruiter, one of my favorite questions to ask founders and hiring managers was, tell me what 4 p.m. on a Friday afternoon looks like in your office. Um, It's such a simple question, but the amount of signal you get from the answer tells you so much about the culture of that business and that working environment. And it's it's so much more nuanced than asking what's the company culture like. Um, if the environment is one or the answer is they tell you that at 4 p.m. everyone's kind of standing up, doing water cooler talk at each other's desks, everyone's kind of heading down for a, a drink after work or chit-chatting and making plans you can safely assume that it's an environment where people are going to work hard, but do it as a cohesive team. And people actually like working with each other in that environment, right? Uh, It's not an environment where the hours you clock are measured, but instead probably an organization where output matters more than input. After a series of strategic questions during interviews and a number of reverse reference checks, armed with information and knowledge, it is time to make the big decision. But... Now that you know a lot about the company, how do you know if it's the right one for you? What factors should you consider 
and which questions should you ask yourself? Coming up is a framework that you can use to evaluate a potential employer during a downturn. A framework that will help you gain a sense of clarity in your job search process. Initially, I set out with a quest of finding a step-by-step guide, a definitive way to background check a startup, something that everyone can take advantage of. But I soon realized that this kind of over-engineering the process comes with its own demerits. Because it's simply just not about whether or not a company is good, but it's more so about whether or not the company is good for you. Before you set out to background check a company, it requires some serious introspection. It requires you to understand why you want to make a move. What are you looking for in your prospective employer? How much complexity and autonomy do you expect in your role? I turned to Suraj for answers. So as I'm talking to you, right, I'm starting to like realize that this generalized framework approach that everybody can use is sort of not working, right? Because it's such a subjective process and it totally depends on you and what you're looking for. So then now I'm again wondering, you come from a venture capital fund space and hiring for like largely CDC startups and below. So how do you think one must evaluate a startup offer, especially during a downturn? There's a a simple two-dimension grid, which we spoke about last time. Um, and, And to me, if you were to visualize it on the y-axis, you have three options, which is step up, subject matter expert, or overkill. And on the x-axis, you have two options, which is low risk and high risk. From here, candidates for every single opportunity that they're thinking about or considering, all they need to do is think about what persona are they going in as, right? Are they going in as a step-up candidate? Are they going in as a subject matter expert or an overkill? Can you give me an example of who is a step-up, a subject matter expert, and who is an overkill? A step-up is, again, like if you're getting a chance to lead a team or do something you've never done before. Um, A subject matter expert would be if you are a product manager and you're joining another organization to be another product manager, but the product you're building is different, right? And an overkill is if you are Further in your career, you've become somewhat of a subject matter expert beyond subject matter expertise. You know, an example would be you're a, a, in your past, uh, past role, you were a, a chief financial officer, right? And now there's an opportunity to join a early stage company or a series A company as a VP of finance. You are an overkill for that role. You've done way bigger. You handle bigger P&Ls, more complex books. The complexity of the business is significantly more. But you're coming in as an overkill. And so you understand that, hey, I'm doing this. So even if it's high risk for me, I'm doing it for the learning. I'm doing it so that I can do something different than what I've been doing for the last 20 years of my career. But if you can understand as a candidate what persona you are and what persona you want to go into the company as, then you start to measure which variables you're going to check off to qualify job satisfaction. And it becomes almost science, right? Using the science of finding the perfect job, one can place themselves in this two-dimensional grid to understand where they stand and where they hope to be and what the trade-offs are in order to achieve that. As you introspect these questions, your priorities, goals and motivations become abundantly clear.
At the end of last year, my colleague and the Ken's COO, Praveen Gopal Krishnan, had made a set of predictions for the year 2023. And one of them was about Zomato. He'd said that this year was going to turn out to be a landmark year for the food tech giant. He'd said that by the end of the year, Zomato will have grown its revenue significantly, expanded its market share, and its food business will be profitable. While we have to wait for the end of the year to actually see if he was right or not, I couldn't help but notice that at least one part of what he said about Zomato expanding its market share has turned out to be true so far. Zomato's market share has gone up to 55%, while Swiggy's, which was leading just three years ago, has dropped to 45%. All this despite 2023 starting on a bit of a sour note for Zomato, with yet another co-founder quitting. And it is this difference that is giving Zomato an edge right now. Tune into the latest episode of my podcast, Daybreak, to find out all about it. You'll find it on Spotify, Apple, and all other podcast platforms. I am Snigda, the host, and if you like the episode, then please do hit follow and rate it. Same goes for this episode of Costa Company. Thank you for listening to The Ken, and now back to Akshay. So, um, John, we have this question for you, right? As you put all these startups under scrutiny, what if none of them say pass the vibe check? Do you think you'll ever make a compromise and join a startup? I'm asking this because the job scenario is like that right now. Or would you just wait it out? I would rather wait and take up an offer that I want rather than, than settling for something that I don't want. Because I know within three months or maximum five months, I would be looking for a change again. And this does more harm to me than good. Because one, there is inconsistency in my work experience. Two, three to five months, you cannot actually grow any project. You cannot grow in any role. You're just settling in and you're just seeing what is happening. Three, again, bad experience overall. It wastes your time. It has wasted half your year. Then you take another three months to look for another job. Rather than that, I could have waited a month or two and taken a job that I like. Janvi says even if she hadn't found that job, she'd have waited, but would not have settled for something lesser. The process of reverse ref-checking your manager, interviewing your interviewer, following your curiosity and researching the company to the fullest. These are ways to lower the risk when making a move. Not completely eliminate it, because some will argue that you can never really fully know a company before you join them. You cannot over-engineer this organic process. But to me, this signals something bigger than background checks. It reflects a partly strange economic moment, the recalibration between employee and employer. Candidates who are not ready to relinquish agency. Candidates who are not holding back. And those who are fully ready to take responsibility of their own careers and choices. In this endeavor of background checking, even if you find your sense of agency... That is a win worth celebrating. What are the other things you do before you join a company? Do you personally think the framework Suraj shared was helpful? Write to me at podcasts 
at the-ken.com. I'll say that again. That's podcasts at the-ken.com. Thank you for listening to Costa Company. This episode of Costa Company was written, hosted and produced by Akshay Chandrasekharan with audio engineering by Rajiv CN. Next week on Costa Company, I want to speak to you about a tool that has the words improvement and plan in them, but more often than not, plans to improve no one. As the cost of laying off a person increases, many employers are relying on the performance improvement plan for employees to leave the distressed organization on their own. But how do you create a PIP that actually benefits the employee? Is that even possible? We'll find out in the next episode of Costa Company. Stay tuned.